0: The title of this forum is Strengthening Our Fellowship, and um, it's, it's a forum that I undertook with some trepidation at the urging of the, um, the other Eastern Camp advisors that are meeting in the fall, um, and I wanted to kind of give a disclaimer to start things off. Number one, I love this fellowship. I cherish this fellowship, and my plan today is not to point fingers, or to lay blame, or to suggest somehow that I'm dissatisfied with my experience. In fact, I'm really satisfied with my experience. That's why I'm here. Um, but I guess the notion is, is that I I think that what happens in, in circles is that we always talk about how can we make our church better. And that's a good conversation to have. And I just want to talk about it in a little, little more open format. Uh, point number one. I have not spoken or cleared anything that I'm going to say with any Eastern Camp advisor or with any elder. If you have a problem with anything that I say, talk to me. I bear the full responsibility of that. Um, Number two, I'm not speaking on behalf of Bob Varga, nor will he be speaking on behalf of me. We're working together. We support one another fully, but I don't want you to perceive that somehow I've got some... uh, Great authority on behalf of anyone else. This is all my own doing, um, and I just want you to be aware of that. It is my desire that this church that I think has a lot of light continue to prosper with that level of light and even more light. It is my desire for this fellowship that I believe is lively and vibrant, to stay lively and vibrant. And that's why um, I'm here today, really, that I I know, based on some historical studies I've done, is that churches tend, and it's not a theory, it's proven churches tend over time to slowly veer in directions that are unlively or more dead than where they began. They often start in a very lively and vibrant way and because of the way humanity is and we are as beings and we are as societies and we are as social cultures, we tend to veer in directions that tend to be less spiritually vibrant just because it's hard, difficult to maintain spiritual vibrancy but that's what we need to do and that's what I'm energized about doing and I think everyone here feels that same way. I'm not here to try to totally revamp the Apostolic Christian Church. Like I said before, I think things are going well. But I think that having our eye on our surroundings, having our eye on our body, our fellowship, and trying to take things, maybe tweak them for the better by energizing the body is a good thing. And that's what I want to do. Um, As you look at my outline, you can see exactly where we're going today. I'm glad that I didn't spend 50 or 60 hours in that presentation. It was something I kind of put together just as an overview. So, uh, we don't seem to have it today. Maybe we'll have it for tomorrow. Um, the surveys that you filled out are seven questions long plus some room to maybe make a notation or two, but brief. I don't want the back of the page filled because I'll never get to it if I've got a hundred some odd surveys out there. Um, some of you may have been struggling with the survey already because the answers don't exactly reflect how you feel, and I understand that. But anyone that's ever been in a setting where you've taken a test, the teacher always says what? <coughs> give, the best give the best answer. Not maybe the perfect answer, maybe not the best for you, but give the answer that's most suited or, or more clearly uh, indicates your feelings. And we're going to go over the results of the survey tomorrow at, at the end of the uh, part two of this form because this is a two-part form. Um and I think that's it in the way of introduction. How many of you have completed the surveys now? Just about every good. Because we're going to collect them at the end. If a few of you need some more time, feel free to hand it to me this evening during evening, evening worship. I'll try to stand in the back or something or try to get it to me somehow or another or somebody that I know, my wife or whatever. I want them back by this evening so I can do some tabulation. So that would be great. Really appreciate it. Uh, the first topic that I'm going to discuss is something that I've entitled The Unity Dilemma. Um, the unity dilemma is premised on a couple of things. And I, um, unity is something that the scriptures ask us to have. We're in, it's indicated in scripture that we should be a unified body working together. And I, I preached a little while ago about the whole use of um, the analogy of the body. That's given in Scripture, where the hand and the foot and the eye all working together, fit, form, uh, fitly formed together. And I, in the message that I gave, I said, you know, the Apostle Paul, I think, is the writer of that. Could have used a team as the analogy. Say, you know, a teamwork type of thing is a great thing. But the use of by using a body, what I like about that analogy is that it is a living being that relies on itself to do all these different things. Relies on other parts. And the beauty also is is that um, if one part of the body is hurting, the whole body knows about it. So it's a great analogy. Let them handle that. Um, But here's the dilemma that we have. Whenever you're talking about scripture or things that people have a lot of love for and appreciation for and passion about, inevitably there's things that come up that try to fracture that unity. And the dilemma is that how do we take something that's causing somewhat of a problem and recreate unity in it? Baby, with a bottle. What's in the bottle? Okay. Kind of talking about our theme, milk or, or meat is you know, one of the premises of camp. Things that it talks about in Scripture, I'll read some Scripture to support that. Matthew 18, 15 says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault. So when we have a dilemma or a problem that's going on between two brothers or, or two people in the body, the idea of the stronger giving way to the weaker is something that's scriptural. And you had a question about that that you answered. Um, but it does sometimes pose a problem. What's that problem? Number one, who's the stronger and who's the weaker? What's the other problem? Okay. And that's kind of a critical point to me. Um, so what we... what the, the fellowship will never go stronger than the weakest person within it. Is that what you said pretty much? Good point. I appreciate that. So the dile- that's kind of part of the dilemma. The other dilemma is that there are ways of solving that fracture. One way that we tend to lean towards is by saying, you know what, we're going to make a new rule or a new edict or a new principle that, so, you know what, so that we don't have this problem, we're going to make a decision together or we'll go to the elders or go to the camp advisors and let's, let's just make a decision, make a new rule, and then the problem is solved. And it kind of is solved. But it's not really solved because you always have the dilemma, the situation, the problem that the weaker stays the weaker. So what do other churches do? There is a huge desire for people to not have those dilemmas. So the other big solution is that churches will say, you know what? These ten things that tend to cause a lot of trouble and a lot of division, we're going to leave that up to the individual. We're not going to teach, talk, preach, or discuss it. Those things that are divisive or problematic, we will leave up to the individual. Is that a healthy way to deal with it as well? Because the effect is the same. You end up having a solution whereby the dilemma is somewhat solved. It's not discussed anymore. The problem solved. Is that a positive solution? or what do you see as a problem with that? It I'm sorry? It festers. It festers, okay. The, re- re- the reaction is still the same. The weak are still weak. At, it's the same problem. Same, same thing. And the same thing. The weak still stay weak because now instead of avoiding it through making some kind of an edict, You're avoiding it by saying, we're not going to talk about it. I believe that we need to solve this dilemma by taking the bull by the horns and all of us being more willing to openly discuss those things and get through those problems. What I see it as happening is, um, you know, the Matthew 18 principle is a key principle. But what does Matthew 18 suggest we do? What's the key underlying idea of Matthew 18? To gain, your to gain the brother. To talk to the brother. To go face to face with a person that you're not in agreement with. Who cares who's the stronger or the weaker? You've got to go face to face. People don't like to do that. It takes a strong person to be able to do that. So we tend to be in a situation where we veer towards let's not talk about it or we veer towards let someone else make a decision so that we don't have to go face to face. But that is the weaker answer. That is leaving people in weakness. And that's not scriptural. The stronger if he or she is causing the weaker to sin or be tempted must eliminate the offending practice or act. That's scriptural, Romans 14, 15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat... Now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat. The stronger and the weaker should not use this issue to cause division in the body. Further problems, Marks, uh, Romans sixteen seventeen. mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. There has to be a way for us to understand that it's important to, to the success of our body and to the strengthening of our body that we face up to that responsibility. The avoidance of Matthew 18 to me is a huge problem and I'm not just talking about the apostolic Christian church, I'm talking about Christianity in general is desperately trying to avoid Matthew 18 because it takes strong Christians to do it. The weaker has an obligation to study and consider the viewpoint of the stronger as it is defined by Scripture, that's my statement. First Peter two two says, "As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby." There's an understood, under, there's an understood concept that you know you start off on the milk, but what happens when you start feeding a child milk? What happens to that kid? It grows and it grows. And it grows. And after a while, is milk enough? The kid has teeth. It wants more than that. That's a natural progression. And we need to understand that. The principle of striving and fighting the good faith, contending for the faith, includes discussion of issues of contention and agreement. These are my opinions. But First uh, Philippians one twenty-seven says, That ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together. What does that mean to you? Striving together. Working together. together. Common goal. goal. What does the word striving mean? Achieving? Won't be easy. What? Doesn't come natural. natural. Striving. When when do we use the word striving? When When you're working. What else? Energy into it. What else? When a conflict. I'm sorry? When a conflict. Striving is also involves conflict often. Usually you think about striving with an enemy, right? But here it says striving. I think that means we're honing and hammering one another into a better shape, into a more spiritual and scriptural understanding of where we should be. I appreciate the juxtaposition of those two words that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Romans 15:2 Let each one make us let each one of us make it a practice to please (parenthesis make happy) his neighbor for his good and true welfare to edify him that is to strengthen him and build him up spiritually. I have an analogy that I've used, and maybe a dozen of you have heard it before. If there was a person that came up to you and said, you know what? I'll use myself, because I have a white van. person came up to me and said, you know, Brother Tom, I've got a problem with you driving a white van. See, it gives me a feeling like you're trying to purport or give the impression that you're pure and holy. I think Christians should not drive white vehicles, should not drive white vans, it just suggests somehow that you're holier than the rest of us. Now, you might be chuckling at that idea, but there's times where I've heard things, not that specifically, that almost make me chuckle. If I were to say, what would be the right thing for me to do? Should I go and have my van painted or trade it in for a different color one? That would be the short-term solution. And maybe in the short term, I should in fact do that. However, what is it important that I do? Is it important that I correct that brother or sister? Who thinks I should correct that brother or sister? I don't want to presume that I'm right. So what I need to do is not necessarily go to that person with an understanding of, I'm going to correct them. I have to say, you know what? I need to understand why you, you have this opinion. I need to understand what scriptures you're using to base it on. And I really want to understand why you feel this way. And I'm going to explain to you why I feel that it is totally a non-issue. It's, it's not an important point to me. And But I want to be sensitive to you. So I'm going to explain to you why I understand that it, it's really not an issue for me at all. Point being is that In order for this Matthew 18 and this dialogue principle to work, we always have to go in anticipating that I may not be right. That's sometimes hard to do. It's hard for me to do. If someone came to me with that right there, I would have a hard time believing that there's any way that they were right, that I shouldn't be driving a white van. But you know, I may not realize that maybe the country they grew up in, only the Leaders in the Catholic church there drove white vehicles no one else was allowed to. So, you know, I, we have to get it in a context, be sensitive to people, buy the same token. It's real important that we don't just say, okay, I'll buy a different color van. It's critical, if we feel that we're right, that we humbly go to that brother and explain and talk and dialogue and get an understanding for where they're coming from. And even if, at the end of the day, that brother says to me, it would really be hurtful to me if you drive a white, white van. The point is that we've had the dialogue. We've had the discussion. And it may take 30 other people with the exact same experience. Well, who else has a white vehicle here? One, two, three. It may take the seven or eight or 10 of you to also have that same dialogue. And what's going to happen? What two things is going to happen? Either the next year camp, no one's going to have white cars, <laughs> or Maybe that brother's going to have a white bar car. <laughs> or maybe maybe he'll just be accepting of it. But the point is, is that it's really important that we have a humble... Hum, even if we're 100% convinced that we're absolutely right, that we go insensitive and that we're cautious and we realize that we may have to understand that, that person's greed with our meat and, and give it up for a time. but But critical is that we dialogue and go face-to-face with that brother and at least give an understanding of where we're coming from and why we're coming from that position. Absolutely. Please. Um, To me, though,
1: it's also also critically important to recognize that... um, Okay, I think it just started. Okay. (laughs) To me, it's critically important for us to recognize and to to understand the overriding principle is still that we love our brother. Um, And and Tom brought it up, and I want to reinforce that, that in the end, we can't go in there knowing that we're right or trying to convince somebody of something um, in such a manner that that we get our way. Uh, We have to go in trying to create the dialogue and recognizing that at the same time, we might need to give up what we see as our liberty or what we see as our strength or what we see as our, our white car. Uh, the, overri- the overriding thing for the fellow... I, I just can't move. The, over- the, over- the, overriding, the overriding element that's important for our fellowship is, is unity and love. And we need to have the dialogue and the dialogue might take years. Um, but in the meantime, we can't... Sever our relationships because we're right.
0: Thank you, Bob. Appreciate that. It's happened to me that a person came up to me and said, You know, Brother Tom, I went to, I had a problem with you about something that was going on, and I went to talk to the elder about it. And the elder said, I have to come to you. And you know what? I am so thankful for that dialogue that we had. And even though I haven't seen that person, I don't think in years now, it brought us closer together, and I, I appreciated that, that that person had the courage to do that. It wasn't a, a huge issue, really, but it was something that I really appreciated They came to me. I had no idea that this situation that, that uh, was going on was, was um, bothersome, bothersome to them, um, but I was so thankful that the elder did the right thing. So how do we move in this direction? That's one thing that has to happen. Whether it's uh, an elder or a camp advisor or a parent or whatever, and someone comes in to try to make an end run around Matthew 18, say, No, you're avoiding Matthew 18. You're trying to escape Matthew 18. You can't. You can't do it. Be strong. Go there. Win your brother. Dialogue with your brother or sister. It's powerful and important. If you look at scriptures, and this is one of those things that you kind of only get when you take a step back a little bit. What are the scriptures all about? There's really not a lot in scripture in terms of, you know what? This has been a problem. We're going to make a rule. Do this. Avoid the problem. The scriptures are all about that dialogue. It's all about the apostle Paul and John and Peter. All these people say, so, you know what? Here's a situation, and even if I can't be face-to-face with you, I'm sending you a letter, which is the next best thing. Here's some of the problems. You know, there could be a lot... There would have been, The Scriptures could have been a lot different in terms of the content if the, the apostles would have said, Okay, you know what? We're just going to expand on the Ten Commandments here. But they didn't. In most cases... They really got into understanding what's going on here, why it's going on, how it's going on, how to solve it, how to fix it, how glad I am. But that's an example. Has anyone ever written an epistle to another church? I've thought about it. <laughs> and it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't something I was going to do in a corrective manner because I'm not that bold. But you know what? Can you imagine if a person sent a real letter because they knew a certain church was struggling to the church? It wouldn't be scripture. But it would be an epistle, wouldn't it? It would be be a powerful way of getting a message across. And I'm not suggesting that we go to do that, really. Because how are we going to decide what letters we read? It turns into a huge thing. But the point is, is that Scriptures show us that that dialogue was really important to them. And they were vibrant, I think, because of the openness. I mean, read Corinthians. There's no beating around the bush in Corinthians. It's straight to the point. And you know what? If I was in the Corinthian church, I would really, I would feel very bad that that kind of a strong letter had to be written to me and the body of believers I was part of. But you know what? They were strengthened by that. We know that. They were edified. They were lifted up. And even though it was some hard things to hear, it was a positive, positive thing. And with that, we're going to probably have some time at the end of tomorrow to maybe cover some of these things or maybe even at the end of today. I'm not sure. But I'm going to turn it over to to Bob now to take part in the uh, second part of today. And... um, there will be if you have some questions or thoughts or things you want to share perhaps at the end of the day or tomorrow thanks
1: i was given the uh, the enviable task of talking about our our purpose evangelism edifying and i was given 15 minutes um you 25 okay 25 time went fast we're just going to touch on some basic points. But um, to start with, our churches are under attack. You know, yesterday in the message we heard that we're in a battle and we're the battlefield. I think if, we're, if we all look at, at what's going on at home at our churches, um, we recognize that we're under attack. And if we think that we're not, then watch out, because you're going to be. Or you already are, and, 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 and you don't know it. Um, and so how do we strengthen the fellowship? How do we uh, how do we get past where we're at and move forward? I started talking to people and, uh, and have had discussions with, with a lot of people about what we need to be doing. And one of the things that I've heard come up more than once um, by itself has been troubling and I, I want to share that with you. Um, I've heard it stated that the most important thing we can do uh, is focus on preserving our fellowship. Is preserving on what we have. Preserving what we have. And uh, yeah, I could see us stating that. We're under attack. Um, to be, being honest, my brothers left church. My sisters left church. Um, for those of you that aren't from church originally, it might not be a big deal, but it hurts me that my brother has chosen not to fellowship and worship with me anymore. Um, so it's easy to get on the defense say, you know what, I need to preserve what I have. Because we have to hang on to it, because we have something good, and we hear that all the time. I propose, though, that if if we're focused on just preserving what we have, we're going to lose it. That's what I propose today. Everything I've looked at in the scriptures and in talking to people, talking to other brothers, other sisters, shows me that, that God created his church not to hold on to what it has, but to move forward and gather. And so we can't fall on the defensive. We can't, we can't fall into that trap and say, I need to hold on to what I have. Um, because it is great. But if we're just holding on, we're going to lose through attrition. Um, I mean, unless, unless all of us, young couples, unless we're all ready to have seven or eight or ten kids and make sure that they all stay in church, right, um, it's just not going to happen. My own church is, is a classic example of that of people leave for different reasons, um, whether we disagree with them or agree with them or not. something called attrition takes place. The grass is greener on the other side. Um, it's ironic that, that in talking to people who choose to go somewhere else that once they get there they realize that they've the same problems that we do. Um, it just seems that it's okay over there. It's not okay where I was at. Um, so I propose that, that we need to move forward. And what does that mean? I see that there's two general purposes for our church, for God's church. Um, we can break them down into a lot more detail, but I see two general purposes. Purpose one is to evangelize. And interestingly enough, if you look in Friday's lesson, which I had nothing to do with, it pretty much says the same thing. But purpose one is to evangelize. Um, Matthew 28, 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. In Matthew 22, um, 37 through 39, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And we remember the parable that Jesus spoke of who the neighbor is. I remember Jesus saying in, in, um, early in John, in John 4, I believe, when he went to the city of Samaria, and he was talking to the woman at the well, and afterwards, while the disciples were gathering, when the disciples came back, he looked and he said, Look, and the fields are ready to harvest. Right. so the, the first purpose is to evangelize um, how do we go and do that in, in, in 10 minutes um, the first thing obviously is is to pray and to fast um, it's for growth for purpose for for where um, I see a trend in, in talking to friends and and um, And some of our experiences at at home have recently been different. But the trend is, and and I can totally appreciate this trend, is you want to invite your friends to church. um, And you want to invite people that are a lot like you so that you have things in common and and you talk to them and stuff. Well, we've become, uh, for the most part, a middle-class church. Most of us are not dirt poor. We're not extremely wealthy. But we've got money. Um, So who are we inviting to church? The people that have money. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's who's coming. That's who we're inviting. And then then they're not coming because we're different. Right? So, I I was thinking this uh, maybe six, seven years ago, eight years ago, um, as as a younger Christian, we need to change. If we're going to evangelize, if we're going to need to bring people in, we need to change. Because nobody wants to, to come and worship with us the way we are, because we're different. I don't believe that anymore, based on first-hand experience. We need to change. We don't need to change our churches. We need to change. Um, Seek the poor. A One option for evangelism, seek the poor. Go out and tell the poor to come to church. Go out and bring them to church. You'll be surprised at how many people start showing up. Um, not necessarily the easiest thing to do, though. It opens up Pandora's box of, of issues. Um, but... I mean, from personal experience, and and I could talk to people about this later, um, caring, I thought I knew what love is. I thought I knew how to love. I found in the last year um, that caring and loving is a lot harder than I ever thought it would be. When it comes down, when the rubber meets the road, if you want to put it that way, true love is, is a lot different than I imagined it to be. Go out and seek the poor. Um, If you look at scripture and you look at who Jesus brought around him and who he helped, it wasn't very often the rich and the popular. It was the diseased. It was the prostitutes. It was the tax collectors. Um, I guess I question myself and I question as a church is that where we're going? Where who are we going after? And maybe what have we become? The other thing that, that in talking to other brothers and sisters that I want to encourage um, encourage all of you that that's really actually exciting is that we've always take a step back for a second. We've always looked at at our culture as a drawback. We're very cultural. Right? You know, I'm from Yugoslavia. Um, so our churches are very cultural. And uh, not because I'm from Yugoslavia, but <laughs> but you know what I mean. Um, why does that have to be a drawback? Why can't that be our strength? You know what? If you've got a lot of Yugoslavians in your church, bring in more Yugoslavians. Go approach the Yugoslavians who would fit in. Right? God created his church for a purpose. Why do we... We can fit that niche. If you've got Romanians, seek out Romanians. You know what? If if you're a Romanian church, it might not be God's purpose to go after African-Americans. Maybe it is. And and that's what you have to determine through prayer and fasting. But recognize that, that God made us as a church for a reason. And we're fitly joined together. So, use what we have to God's advantage. Um, and, and the one thing that somebody told me that, that has, has, has really struck a chord with me, which is a very basic statement, um, but whatever you do, do your best. You know, when I, when I was in school to, to be an architect, somebody told me you shouldn't be in architecture because um, unless you're in the top 10%, you're never going to get anywhere. Somebody also told me before I tried to go into architecture that, that I wanted to be a car designer. And somebody said, you know, don't be a car designer because unless you're in the, the top 10%, you'll only be designing hubcaps. I decided I didn't want to do hubcaps, so I went into architecture school, and now they're telling me that I'm going to be doing toilets. (laughs) Right? I decided, this was after four years of school, right? So it's like, you know what? I decided that I was just going to be in the top 10%. Okay? I was just going to give it my best. Well, we as a church, if this is our purpose, if God's purpose for us is to evangelize, then we can't do it with two or three people. We can't do it half-heartedly. If we're going to do something, let's do our best. The other purpose for the church, generally, is to edify the body. um, To build up, to make stronger. Definition out of um, Webster's, and I actually like the 1913 Webster's, um, to edify, to instruct and improve especially in moral and religious knowledge, to teach. That's the definition of edify. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you also do. Women's 14.19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and wherewith one may edify another. Edify. Edify. We created in our church, because we've been trying things, and we created a list in our church, two lists. One is how we evangelize, and the other is how we edify. Can you guess which one was longer? Anybody want to guess? B, right? Edify. Yeah, edify was like a page and a half. I mean, we've got, you know, family and I, we've got potluck. I mean, you start going into details about what we have. We've got a lot of things that we do to edify the body, to edify ourselves. Didn't have much in evangelism. Here's the problem if we just focus on B. And this kind of gets into C. Which is more important, evangelism or edifying? If we just focus on edifying, and if you accept my, my proposal that I said at the beginning, that if, uh, if we fo- focus on preserving what we have, we're going to lose. If you accept that, then if we just edify, we're going to keep dwindling down. We're going to shrink. Through attrition, through death, through leaving, through whatever, we're just going to shrink. If we just evangelize, And we're learning this firsthand in my own church. Um, And we don't have solid edification set up. You get a lot of people to come in. Good luck keeping it. So you need to have a balance. What's the balance? Um, Well, We start with what we have, and we're good at edifying. We're very good at the times that we spend together. Um, The the key point that that I found recently is that we're very good at edifying ourselves. What happens when people start coming in that have no concept of the Bible? The things that we're used to don't work. Um, bring them to Bible class it's over their heads right? bring people to Bible class um, and you say we're in you can say we're in Matthew today and, and it's the beginning of the New Testament right? and they flip to the beginning of the Bible so then you start flipping pages um, to try to show them where the New Testament is Forget it if you say you're in Habakkuk or in, you know, I mean, half, half of us can't find Habakkuk, <laughs> let alone trying to show somebody who doesn't have a clue on how the Bible works, where Habakkuk is. So what do you do? Well, we start having announcing page numbers. We've got two versions of the Bible and a pew Bible in our church. Some depends, you can't announce, I mean, these are just little pragmatic things, but truly to edify, and we, you try to come up with solutions, but you realize how set up we are on people having a knowledge of the Bible already when they come in. We had some some new people come in, and we were trying to set up a kind of a discipleship class to get them to get them to learn how the Bible works. You can't find material, because none of our churches really have material that's that basic, because we're teaching our kids when they're 11, even younger than that, not somebody who's 45. So we have to re examine how we edify the body and what that means. Um, you know, I, I just want to stress that we have to be prepared. Uh, we have to evangelize, is, is something that God demands of us, it's a purpose. But at the same time, we have to prepare what happens when people start coming in. Um, we don't want it to end up being where we bring them in and and then they go right back out because we're not set up to teach, to make them feel like they fit in, uh, to, uh, to to just not be prepared. The other thing that, that, that's an issue that I've seen, I've seen in myself, I've seen in other um, brothers and sisters in my church, and um, I'm sure isn't tied to just us, is that we're comfortable with our church the way it is. Because it suits our purpose. There's a key problem with that. It suits our purpose. Um, if we're truly going to evangelize, if we're truly going to edify the body, then church isn't just a place where we can come and relax and and sing and and listen to a good sermon and come home having been fed and and being done. Church changes. Church becomes work. uh, Because there's people there that that are on different levels. There's things that... um, that we have to let go of at times. If it's perfect for us, it might not be perfect for doing God's work. And, and so that, that's a question that, that you all need to ask yourself and that we're constantly asking ourselves. Um, you know, it's God's purpose, it's God's church. It doesn't mean that we cast off our doctrines, it doesn't mean that we change our practices. But it does mean that we have to examine if we've set it up to be for me or if we're really setting it up to work for God's purpose. Um, And and there's a balance in there that that I don't necessarily have an answer for. Um, That's something that that works differently in each church. So that's, how do we know know we're successful? Um, I don't have an answer to that one. You know, uh, myself, and in our church, we prayed for growth, and, uh, and God has grown us. Kind of like a piece of dough. Um, he's taken us, and he's stretched. It has nothing to do with a numerical increase. It's had nothing to do with, with more people coming. It's had to do with growing us individually um, at different levels, at different times, in different ways. To me, that has been success for us, but that's all I have.
0: I think this is the first time in my life I've ever been in a forum that I was part of that there was five minutes or three minutes to entertain any questions or thoughts or something you wanted to share for either Bob or myself or about the unity dilemma or Bob's presentation on purpose of the church body. a very much appreciate Well, to take your last question first, how to engage people that really don't want to do it, um, that's tough. I really don't know the answer. Uh, Maybe maybe you have to look at Matthew 18, and if a person is really strident and unwilling even to dialogue about it, maybe you have to take more people so that they understand. Matthew 18 is beautiful because it really, all of a sudden this person understands that Maybe they really have to rethink when when all of a sudden there's three of us there saying, you know what, I, I think you're holding on to this, whatever. And we're just trying to dialogue with you, and you're not willing to even dialogue, and that—that's wrong. So, um, and where should it take place? Um, I'll open it up to you for answers. But I think some of the great places are Eastern Camp, in our homes, um, outside of our normal church worship services, because it's not necessarily conducive to those kind of things. Um, we really have to seek out those opportunities at times, and and make it happen, Bob.
1: One thing that, that I've found, that when when we're at odds with each other, we need to develop relationships. Invite them over for dinner and and start on, on common ground that you do have and, and spend, start spending some time together. And then you'll find that, um, at least I found, that even the differences that we do have um, seem to get minimized as we develop a loving relationship for each other.
0: It reminds you of how much they Commonality does exist. So, a couple other comments. Matthew 18 implies that every kind of conflict. No. No. Like, what if I have a problem with a new trend that's happening and there's already 30 people that have jumped onto this bandwagon? We're going to talk about that tomorrow. turn that over to Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I um, I don't know how to answer that. I mean that that's clearly a dilemma, and that clearly requires dialogue. Um, hmm? Prayer, and fasting. Prayer, fasting, Prayer and fasting, and and that it may be that uh, other people have to be pulled in. Um, not necessarily, you know, always deferring to leadership in the church. That there's times where um, there's quiet brothers in the church and quiet sisters in the church that are, do not have leadership positions that are tremendous to talk to about stuff like this. They've had experience in it or they just have a really cool head. We need to tap into those people. So, not a great answer. But good but good point. <laughs> It's it's a scary thing when um, people people paint a lot of what they do with, I've been led of the Lord to do this, and they do it quite quickly. I, I don't use that phrase a whole lot because I'm afraid to. Um, not that I'm not a man of conviction, but, but boy, you know, it, to just throw that around, to, it's a point of concern. Mm-hmm. One, did everyone hear that? <laughs> Terrific. We're going to catch up to you with that. Just wait till we're all on board. But I think when, when there is that sort of conflict, you
1: know, you get involved with this other religion, but somebody just believes something. Belief never made anything true, so you have to get back to God's Word, and I think that's where we're all heading You know, if I believe the Lord led me this way and it's not particularly the way the Lord led you, well, guess what? One of us is probably wrong. And and guess what? One of us is probably not adhering to Scripture. And that's where no amount of pompous uh, discussion, ever get that unless we get the Bible out and just start really uh, submitting to that. That When when that happens, that's what God's word and always should be is paramount.
0: Good point, Brother Irwin, and I want to underline the notion that a lot of times the answer is not found in one verse and it's real clear. It's in 30 or 50 verses and it's tough to get at, but point very well made. We have to close down here quick. Good point. Sometimes people just have to be a little bit more flexible. Um, in this situation, um, you know, whatever it is, it like be two. You know, like you said, sometimes you think, oh, God called me for this, you might try it, and then you yourself
1: say, okay, Lord, I see that I'm not the person for this. You know, instead sort of having kind of
0: conflict, maybe, you know, I don't have another person else. And And I agree. And sometimes that's not revealed until time goes by. We thank you for your time. We have part two tomorrow. We'll go over the results and have a few other areas to cover. Thanks.